What's really cool about DeFi is that a lot of protocols and a lot of projects, they reward users for using their product. Mm -hmm. It's also similar for NFTs as well, because for some NFT projects, not not all, they actually give you some of the royalty fees to the NFT holders, right? Mm. So if you really enjoy an artist and you buy their art, it's generating you a return on this art piece, especially if this art goes widely mainstream. You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hey guys, and welcome back to the BFF Podcast. And today we have back with us again, Ming from RabbitX. Hello again and Happy New Year. Hello, hello, Happy New Year. It's good to be back and thanks for inviting me back. Thank you. And I mean, I think we've kind of gone through a very interesting time in the, I guess, the crypto world, right? I think mm. like uh, looking at, you know, the interviews that SBF was doing on FTX. So it certainly yeah. was very exciting times. Yeah, no, it was a pretty crazy end to 2022. Mm. Um, there was a lot of drama, a lot of crazy things going on. Um, obviously, you know, FTX, that had a cascading effect on other firms in the industry as well. Yes. Um, you know, dust is settling and, uh, you know, we're just picking up the pieces right now. You know? So do you honestly feel that the dust is settling or it always feels that it's the dust is settling and then something comes up again <laughs> and the dust is settling and something comes up again? So yeah, what's, what's your take on that? I, I mean, that's the nature of markets, right? Mm. The nature of markets is that, you know, there's always something, there's always... Uh, a new inf- piece of innovation and mm. then that kind of stirs the market to go up or, or to go down, right? And the narrative last year has always been like the Fed tightening mm. um, and that that has driven a lot of the narrative um, mm-hmm. for, for markets last year. Mm-hmm. I think this year will be a more of a settling down period where, you know, people's expectations are adjusting and, you know, markets are stabilizing somewhat. Mm, um, mm. And may- maybe there are some good pockets of opportunity here and there. But the key is how are you going to position yourself this year mm-hmm. to prepare for the next move, you know, in 2024, 2025, I think. Right. And yeah. I know that you take a very data-driven approach when it comes mm. to, you know, looking at the markets. And when what are, you know, certain data points that we should be looking at given mm-hmm. that you, you feel that the dust is settling and and then, yeah. you know, we should start to think about, you know, what kind of positions we take and, you know, what, mm-hmm. what kind of, in, you know, conviction do we have? Definitely for the first half of this year, the main driver of asset prices are still going to be the Fed. Mm. Uh, what the Fed decides to do with their rate hiking cycle and... Um, most people, especially the young younger generation, mm-hmm. haven't really seen a you know strong rate hiking cycle. Mm. You know, since I think 08. If you look at the historical chart of interest rates, it's just been going down, yes. right? Since 08. If, even like further back to like the dot com boom and bust, mm. um, interest rates have just been on the downward trend, right? Yep. And so this is one of the fastest rate increases for the Federal Reserve. Uh, I think in history, mm-hmm. right? Um, in, in terms of like absolute percentage move in such a short period of time, mm. so that's obviously going to have a big impact on asset prices. I'm pretty surprised at how well the stock market is holding up and how well 
some risk assets are, are holding up. Obviously, tech has been just <laughs> hammered, right? Yes. Like a lot of tech stocks are down 80%, some even down 90%. Um, and I think that's been a combination of over-expansion by a lot of tech companies mm-hmm. uh, from 2021. Mm. And, and you know, with interest rates hiking as well, you have price-to-earnings compression, yes. right? So PE ratio is, is adjusting down. And so, like, the two forces combined has just been really bad for tech really, companies. Really bad for tech companies. Yeah. And I think it doesn't just affect the public markets, even private markets, right? Where yeah. even on the private side, I mean, the VC funds or PE funds, depending on what stage they are, they're yeah. kind of, like, slashing the valuation. So, it's kind of like yeah. about half or even more than that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the private game is uh, during 2021 that, you know, some, some funds were window dressing mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. and uh, now come back down to earth. Um, and some of the the drawdowns are quite large. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Going back to what we, you know, what we're going to be talking about today, um, basically we're going to be talking about how does you know DeFi actually truly take out the middleman and, mm. and you know how does it help us actually save on middleman fees. Mm, mm, mm. So I guess you know in terms of the interaction that most people have with at least the crypto market in general, I mm, mean there's mm. this talks of DeFi, but how does it actually affect them as a consumer? Because if we look mm. at the typical even the exchanges. Yeah, you know, there certainly is a middleman there, like it or not. Yeah, I think that DeFi is this uh, nascent but growing industry within crypto, Mm. right? And I think when I look at Web3 or crypto, you know, I think some people put NFTs, consider it as Web3 and then not DeFi. DeFi is, you know, more crypto. But to me, I see two main verticals, right? Mm -hmm. One is decentralized finance, which Mm -hmm. is powered by payments, trading, lending, borrowing, Uh, anything to do with financial infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. Settlements, including settlements as well. And then you have the other vertical, which is like NFTs, creatives, you know, allowing artists Under a bit of ownership, right? Yeah, ownership of art and and also empowering artists as well, right? Mm -hmm. So underlying these two movements really comes down to ownership Mm. and true ownership of A, your financial assets and Mm -hmm. B, ownership of the art or creative that the artist created right? whatever digital asset whatever digital mm. asset or, or you know whatever actually you can even take real world assets and, mm. and put it on the blockchain yeah. and tokenize it right mm-hmm. and the, the aim of blockchain technology is to prove ownership in a cheap and uh, efficient way mm-hmm. right because when you buy a stock right let's say you, you go on um, a broker and you buy a stock that stock doesn't belong to you mm. that stock belongs to the broker the broker is just saying hey I, I'm gonna assign this uh, stock under your account. Mm. But if you actually want to take ownership of that, of that stock, you have to go to like the DTCC or you have to you know, go to the exchange itself. And for someone who is retail, you're not going to be able to do that because you're, just, you're too small, right? So mm-hmm. only banks and, and large, very large hedge funds maybe can make that request. Mm-hmm. And so that's just how our financial system has been set up since, you know, and this is a result of, you know, decades of, you know, legacy infrastructure. And because, you know, 40 years ago, there wasn't blockchain, there wasn't the internet. So mm-hmm. all of these things had to be kept in a centralized database. And it's inefficient if you give everyone a share certificate that mm. buys a share. And you can imagine how, how much share trades every day. Yes. It's just inefficient for people to be swapping these certificates or like, you know, swapping their funds physically. So they, they kept the centralized database. Mm. So with the invention of the internet and then blockchain technology, now information travels instantaneously. Yep. And you can actually transfer value instantaneously. Mm. And, and you don't need to wait for T plus two. You don't need to wait for a bank to update your account. You don't need to wait for your broker to update 
the account. It's you all can, instant. It's now, all yes. instant, yep. and it's all on chain, mean, meaning that you can see it transparently, right? And, yep. and I think that is the fundamental technological shift that blockchain en- enables is real-time transaction settlement and real-time ownership mm. of, of uh, you know, whatever you're trading or whatever you assets you own. And I think that is uh, at the core what decentralized finance is, is trying to accomplish. And, you know, as a result, because you own and you can transact for yourself, not on behalf, you know, the, the bank's not transacting for you, you can transact for yourself. That's why um, decentralized finance can remove the middleman, mm-hmm. which is banks, brokers, etc. Mm. Yeah. Let's say we were talking to somebody who didn't understand how DeFi works mm. and you're trying to kind of get them to understand the concept. What would be mm. like the one name that you kind of say that, that they would be familiar with? Um, I think Uniswap is, has been quite popular mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of traders. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, from a user perspective, we also want to make it easy for people to use. So, my goal for DeFi is eventually it should be seamless that you don't even know that you're using DeFi. Yeah, because right? at the end of the day, really for them is the utility. It's and, the utility, and, yeah. and that's why we also wanted to talk about middleman fees, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for them, it's very clear that, oh, you know, if I can transact easier this way and I save mm-hmm. from that, then, you know, I'm just going to gravitate that. You know, I don't yeah. care about what the underlying technology is. As long as it trust is trusted, I can yeah. I can see that, you know, my transaction will go across smoothly. I am indeed yeah. saving on fees. I'm going to use that. Yeah, exactly. And like one very simple use case is payments, right? Mm-hmm. Like Visa and MasterCard, they charge 2 to 3% for every transaction. Yep. You wouldn't send your friends money through Visa or MasterCard. You no. just pay, pay now, right? Yes. You just use pay now and pay now doesn't charge uh, a fee and it's instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Imagine that on a global scale, mm. right? So Visa and MasterCard has payment networks on a global scale, but they charge two or three percent. So using, you know, any a stablecoin like USDC or USDT, you can achieve the same effect uh, on a global scale with much less fees. Mm. Right. So I think that is one very straightforward use case. Another is like lending borrowing. You know, you don't need to go to a bank to get a loan anymore. You can actually just use your MetaMask wallet and you can get a loan, right? Mm. Um, or you, if you want to buy crypto, uh, you don't need to go to an exchange and deposit your assets on the exchange. You can just directly transact from your wallet, right? Yep. And I think those are the simple use cases that, that are already live today. So then yeah. the next question is, for companies to exist, there always needs to be some kind of revenue model, at least. So like mm. for, for Visa and Master, they, their, their business model is like taking a percentage of the transaction. Yeah. So when it comes to like what you said, you know, where is that? business case yeah so what's really cool about DeFi is that yes there are some fees for example when you trade on uniswap Mm. you are normally charged 0.3 percent trading fee and that trading fee could either go to a company Mm. or it could go to the token holders yep and if you were one of the users of uniswap in the early days they would actually give you the tokens for free, mm. right? So imagine if you were using, say, DBS, and every time you use DBS to withdraw cash, you get a small percentage of their shares mm. to, as a reward for being a loyal customer, right? Yeah. So that is what DeFi can accomplish. Is uh, A lot of protocols and a lot of projects, they reward users for using their product. Mm-hmm. And because you're a user and you're also a part owner of the of the project your interests are much more aligned with the project or with the company right mm. so i think that's a very cool new business model that defi also enables mm. um, and it's also similar for nfts as well because for some nft projects not not all they actually give you some of the royalty fees to the nft holders mm-hmm. 
right? Mm. So if you really enjoy an artist and you buy their art, obviously you're supporting the artist directly. And also it's generating you a return on this art piece, especially if this art goes widely mainstream. Right. Mm. So it's a win-win in in, in my books. Mm. Yeah, but for them, yes, you know, we you know, talk about the appreciation of the token value. But mm. then, how does it? You know, if we're just going down to the basics, what keeps the lights on? Mm-hmm. And like for you know, for the team that is working on the project, mm-hmm. because you know, beyond you, let's say investors putting in money, like you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. eventually it needs to be sustainable. Yeah. So most business models, they uh, so for exchanges, they will charge a transaction fee. Mm-hmm. For lending borrowing protocols, they will charge a spread on the interest. Mm-hmm. NFTs, they charge a royalty fee um, and also a small fee every time the NFT is traded. Mm. Um, so these are the main business models that that we've seen, and normally projects will set up a entity for like a foundation where some profits will go to the foundation to support the continued development of the mm, project mm. Uh, and to keep the lights on right yes. a portion may go back to the token holders as well so there is some fundamental value to mm. to being a token holder that has been the most common business structure mm-hmm. so far that i've seen there may be new innovations in the future we don't know because the space moves so quickly right yes. what 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 we know this week might change entirely. Oh, you're next absolutely week. right. Yeah. Because in the in the crypto market, certainly it's a lot more volatile compared to even like yeah. the more traditional equity markets. Yeah. Because you know when we even when we talked about cycles earlier on, the cycles in the traditional equity markets are not, <laughs> you know, it's a lot longer than you know the ones that we are seeing in crypto. Yeah, definitely, and I think that is also what attracts a lot of people is the speed of innovation mm-hmm. and speed of change. And it's really attracting a lot of very bright minds and, and very bright people. I agree. Yeah. I certainly agree on that. But with that in mind, what do you think would be, what is driving the adoption of DeFi mm. today? I think for a lot of developed countries, the financial infrastructure is already very mature and very robust. Yes. So for example, payments is not an issue for most developed countries. However, for emerging markets and emerging countries, that could be an issue, especially when there is a very high level of inflation in mm-hmm. that country. So, for example, like Argentina, Venezuela. So, we are seeing a lot of native adoption mm-hmm. in uh, you know more decentralized finance and also self custody of their assets because mm-hmm. they don't trust the banks. Right? Where the financial infrastructure is not as developed or yeah. not trusted. As or a not result. trusted, and uh, especially when the banks have uh, have the power to freeze your funds mm-hmm. and or put a cap on how much you can withdraw every day. So. Mm-hmm. If you have money in the bank, you know, you're not able to freely access that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have money sitting in your DeFi wallet, mm-hmm. you can access that anytime mm-hmm. with no restrictions. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's very attractive for a lot of people in um, developing countries. Yes. Right? And then uh, I think trading wise, you know, there's a lot more coins and a lot more assets that you can trade on decentralized finance because it's permissionless, right? Mm. So you don't need to wait for an exchange. To li- yeah, you don't need to wait for approval. And exchanges always ask for a listing fee. Usually, exactly. you know, in those boom times, are a listing fee. Exactly. So oh. exchanges, they make money from listing. projects uh, paying them a listing fee. Yes. And uh, also trading fees. So, you know, for small-ish projects that don't have the budget to pay an exchange a couple of hundred thousand dollars f- to list on their exchange, mm. they can list on Uniswap for free. Yep. And they can do that, you know, within a day, mm. right? And so that is also very powerful for a lot of investors as well because 
they, if they want to invest in tokens that are not listed on exchanges, they can mm. then go, go on Uniswap. Do you, do you still see the appetite for that? Because, you know, right now mm-hmm. there is a lot of like, you know, a certain kind of fatigue or I feel that a lot of mm. people are kind of like taking a wait and see approach. If anything, I think people would mm. be requesting a higher level of diligence on projects or whatever it is. I mean, mm-hmm. even even for something like FTX, which actually attracted a lot mm. of investments from, you know, well-known investors, you know, the, the critique now is like, whatever happened to the due diligence process? Yeah, for sure. I think, especially in crypto, it's still kind of the Wild West mm. and you have to really do your own research. Mm. Yeah, I think there needs to be more due diligence done in the space for uh, exchanges and also for your own investments, mm. right? And uh, it is the type of space that rewards people doing their homework, basically, and not just getting following. In yeah, go, you know, just because your friend is putting exactly, in money. yeah, exactly, or like following some influencers' advice. Oh yes, um, because there are no guardrails, so mm. to speak. Yes, you people do still get scammed mm-hmm. in traditional markets but i think in crypto it's uh you really have to be extra diligent yes yeah yeah i think so yeah. i mean i would say that even in in traditional markets it is still possible mm. right or even if you're looking at um sell side analysts right you know they mm. they'll always have an incentive to you know, they hardly ever put a sell kind of rating mm. on a stock anyway because of incentives, right? I don't think there is a sell rating. <laughs> I actually don't Unless think... something terrible has happened. Yeah, normally they just say underweight. I'm basically, underweight hold. is the equivalent of sell. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they'll yeah. just ask people to hold or something like that. Yeah. So I can understand the value add for, you know, somebody in a country where the financial mm-hmm. infrastructure isn't trusted, but then let's say for Singapore, what do you think would be a driver of them to utilize? Yeah, I think for me personally and a few a few friends, you know, I view it more from a portfolio like investing perspective mm-hmm. where, okay, if crypto goes to zero, how badly does that impact my portfolio? Yeah, what's your total yeah. exposure? Yeah, and yeah, are you comfortable ex- with that? Exactly. How much... How much can I risk without impacting my quality of life? Yes. Because I I believe in the crypto movement, I believe in decentralized finance, and I believe in the technology, then let's say this is really the next internet boom, right? And the next wave of innovation. Mm. Um, I want to get exposure to it. Mm. I want to I want to be able to take advantage of the upside, right? Mm. And I think every investor should have that mentality of how much risk am I willing to take in a very volatile asset, but also what is the upside, mm-hmm. right? Because let's we say, talked about stupid risk the last time. Right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So don't you know? Obviously, don't take stupid risk, but also sometimes the risk is asymmetric. Yes. In, in the sense that there's limited downside and unlimited upside. Yeah. Right. And especially in a volatile asset class is the volatility good working for you right Mm. so what i mean by that is is it volatile going up right so that means that you have more upside and your downside is capped right so if if i was to invest in smp maybe in the next one year uh it might go down 10 percent might go up 10 percent so it's Mm. pretty much even right Mm -hmm. the the uh, return distribution yeah but for crypto it could go down 50 percent or it could go up 200%, right? And so now you have a more skewed return distribution, mm-hmm. right? That's why I think it could, you know, be valuable to to consider adding crypto and, uh, you know, DeFi to your portfolio. In, That's fair. And, in and small, be small like amounts. tokens in DeFi projects, for example. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think the most direct and easiest way to get exposure is to buy the tokens in DeFi projects. Mm. Yeah. 
Not financial advice, by the way. <laughs> Not financial advice. Yes, yes. And, but uh, how about in terms of um, utility from a utility perspective? Yeah. So a lot of tokens they actually generate a yield. Mm. So a lot of tokens, if you stake it, if you lock it up, you can actually generate a pretty decent yield. And there are some option strategies that you can do on decentralized finance that gives you a passive income. Mm. So, for example, I have you know a strategy on one of the DeFi protocols that's basically doing a covered call strategy, right? So mm. I, I own the underlying assets and I'm selling a call option against it. Right. So if it goes up, my upside is capped to, I don't know, 20% right, mm. every week. Mm. But I'm also earning, say, 50% in premium a year. And so if the asset doesn't go anywhere or it goes down, I'm still making 50% a year in, in premium plus rewards. That's right? guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. It fluctuates. So let's say like, you buy the asset for $100. Mm-hmm. You are, you're, they're seeing the max premium per year. Let's not even talk about the, mm-hmm. the, the weekly 20%, right? Yeah. You're saying it can be up to 50%. It could be up to 50%, mm. yeah, a year. Mm. Yeah. And so that's that's also given in the uh, in the underlying asset right? And as well. So it's like if I, if I buy $100 of this asset... And the asset price doesn't go anywhere. In one year's time, I will mm-hmm. have a hundred, up to one hundred fifty dollars worth of this asset. Right. If of course, the, asset, the risk that people have to contend with is the hundred going down to one. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So if the asset price goes down, uh, you still make the fifty percent yield, but uh, your your basically your asset is now you know has dropped ninety nine percent in mm-hmm. value, mm-hmm. Um, and so it's still worth a dollar a dollar fifty, right? Mm-hmm. So a hundred dollars to a dollar fifty. That's the risk that you're taking. Mm. Um, and and also it also caps some of your upside to some extent because you're selling a call option. Yes. Uh, a weekly call option. So if the asset price appreciates by more than 20%, 20%. you're capped at 20%. Yeah. You don't en- enjoy any further growth, right? Mm. But I'm pretty happy with that. It's like if I make 20% a week, mm-hmm. I'm very happy with that. Yep. So um, I'm happy to sell this option. And these are the types of examples of the things that you can do on DeFi mm-hmm. that would normally be very expensive to do in traditional markets. Like if you want to do a covered call strategy with DBS, number one, you'd have to probably be a accredited investor. Mm-hmm. And number two, the fees that they charge you are going to be through the roof, mm. right? Yep. And I think that is uh, one of the benefits of, of using a lot of DeFi, especially if you understand what you're doing. And given that you're somebody who's very close to the market, right? Mm. And, and and given, you know, the sentiment in the market, like what is the kind of activity that you're seeing? Or, you know, mm-hmm. what, what would be indicators for activity? Obviously, transaction volume is one metric that is easy to see mm. uh, and, and easy to look at the trend. Another thing to look at is probably the number of wallets installed mm-hmm. by users, so MetaMask wallet or other other trust wallet. Mm -hmm. And that gives you an indication of how many people are using DeFi, using crypto, right? Mm. And I think that that trend has has always been going up. Mm. I think that's also a very good indicator of uh, how much adoption and and also how much value, you Mm. know, people are finding DeFi and crypto. Mm. Yeah. Got it. And I guess in terms of the final question, your outlook for 2023, how should people be, not me, not how should people be looking at it, what's your own outlook for 2023? I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, Have you always been? I think you always are, I guess. I'm always optimistic. You're always analytical. I'm I'm very, yeah. You're very analytical when you look at it. I'm analytical, but I'm also like long-term optimist. And I, I believe that people tend to overestimate technology in the short term Mm. and underestimate technology in the long term Mm -hmm. 
right? And so I'm, I, I believe that in the long term, this, this technology will change the way our financial system works. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what that end state will look like, mm. but I just want to be riding on that boat. Mm. Right. And I, I think that having some education about it, you know, learning about it is a good thing. Like even if you don't invest or you don't want to get into crypto and, and invest in crypto, I think it's always good to learn more. Mm-hmm. And one really promising qualitative data point that I have is that all of the people that I know that have gotten into crypto mm-hmm. have never gone back. Mm. Right. So it's like a black hole. Mm. It can only attract more and more people mm-hmm. without letting, you know, and people don't go back to their banking jobs or, you know, their traditional financial jobs. And mm. so from a job perspective, okay. I see. From a job perspective yeah. and also from investments perspective, mm. I, I only see people who got into crypto mm-hmm. investing more and more over time mm. rather than taking their money out of crypto and then just leaving the, you know, and saying, oh, I'm never touching crypto again. I, I haven't mm. met anyone that has you know felt that way. Mm, yeah. mm. You know, there certainly are people who are into crypto and then they continue to build out the portfolio or, or they, they're letting it sit now and see what happens next. But then there are yeah. probably are people who put money in because of FOMO <laughs> and then they kind of like withdrew very fast, like, sort of like touching a flame almost. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe it's just because my circle are I, all crypto fanatics. I, I, I guess so, I guess so. But it's always good to get, you know, various perspectives. But I yeah. fully hear you that, you know, it is important to, you know, understand what drives DeFi or, you know, what is the underlying mm. technology and how does that affect, you know, how we live in the future. You know, whether mm. or not, you know, you are invested in it financially or whatever it is, I think it is important to actually understand that. Even if you are looking at a very age-old thing like property, like, you know, people mm-hmm. would still, there's a fair bit of analysis and a certain judgment call that you need to get Mm -hmm. to before you put money in Mm -hmm. ideally yeah and i think another really exciting part of crypto is that because all of it is so new there are still a lot of opportunities and gaps in understanding how to value these assets Mm -hmm. for example property has been around for you know how many hundred years and like people have been investing in property for a long long time Mm -hmm. and it's a very mature market there's very little edge that you as an individual investor can can gain because Mm -hmm. everything has been figured out basically right but in crypto because nothing has really been figured out to the full extent if you have some unique insight mm-hmm. or a unique way of looking at the market and valuing the market and these assets mm-hmm. you can gain a very big edge mm. and that is something that even individuals can still do mm. whereas if you're doing analysis as an individual in the stock market or in real estate or or whatever other asset class you're competing against the banks, you're competing against large institutions that have mm. already figured this out for decades, yeah. right? Mm. Uh, whereas now, it, the institutions that are just getting into crypto, they've only done it for one or two years, mm-hmm. right? They're on the same level playing as everyone. Yes. Uh, yeah, this, on the same playing level as everyone else. Mm. And if you dig in a, a little bit deeper than these institutions, you can actually gain a bigger edge. But I think it's also about, um, in terms of how you analyze that, right? Because certainly, mm. not just for crypto, but even with a lot of like tech stocks in the boom phase, mm-hmm. there were a lot of, you know, when it comes to analysis of a project or a company, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that come at like vanity metrics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then people get sold on their vanity mm-hmm. metrics. But then these, if you think about it further, a lot of these vanity metrics that have this really nice numbers and high growth rates actually don't really contribute to what really matters at the end of the day when it comes yeah. to the performance of a company. Yeah. or performance of a project. So so I think that even when it comes down to that, I think the kind of thinking that you put into analyzing something like that, it really matters. It, it really matters to look at things from the first principles perspective. 
there's also like a lot of different hypotheses and thesis that you can test out. And I think people are still trying to figure it out. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the things that I'm starting to notice, especially in our generation, is there is sometimes some meme value to, mm-hmm. a, to a stock. So for example, mm-hmm. like Jemmy, like GameStop, right? Yep. Or like Bed Bath Beyond or, you know, the, mm-hmm. those Wall Street bet stocks. Yes. There is some meme value. <laughs> what I mean by that is when people make something a meme like Dogecoin, yes. it has become part of the public conscience. It's become part of the zeitgeist. Right. And the zeitgeist does have value. Just look at it from an artistic point of view, mm-hmm. right? Like why does certain pieces of art, certain style have value mm-hmm. um, is because it captures the zeitgeist of that era, mm. right? Mm. And so this is, this is you know, by no means a way to value your investments. <laughs> but that's just one of the thoughts I've been having recently is like, is there some way to capture and value, like, what is the meme value of stock or of a token? or Like the, like the virality of the it. The virality and also how much of the public consciousness does it capture? For example, mm. like Bored Apes. You know, a lot of people know about Bored Apes. Yep. And the fact that a lot of people know about Bored Apes whether or not it, they are invested in it, right? Yeah, it ma- mm. makes it valuable because it's uh, it's like how much does a Rolex cost? Like I don't know, ten k, twenty k, right? Mm. But you can you can just see the time just as well on your mm-hmm. phone. Mm-hmm. So yes, you can make the argument that the value of Rolex comes from the craftsmanship, mm. from the beauty. Um, I would say, I mean, you know, when it comes to Rolex, I mean, I've mm-hmm. had conversations with friends who are more into watches mm-hmm. and, and they, they always feel that, you know, if you're talking about it from an investability perspective, mm-hmm. then they will say that the Rolex has the most appreciation power. Whereas for somebody mm-hmm. else, like another watchmaker could be really on par, even above Rolex mm-hmm. when it comes to the quality of workmanship, mm-hmm. things like that. But it doesn't have that kind of staying value. Yeah. And I that that's why I wonder why. Does the fact that people believe that it has appreciation value make it appreciated? <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know? Mm. And so the very interesting about studying markets is because it's a self-reinforcing cycle. Mm. The fact that more people believe that it's going to appreciate makes it appreciate, which mm. then creates a reinforcement loop, yeah. right? And it goes both on the up and on also on the way down, mm. right? And so that's why... Sometimes purely what you think as irrational things could be rational from the individual's perspective. Mm. Number one, individuals think about investments differently to an institution because A, you have different levels of capital. Yes. B, you have different utility curves. Mm -hmm. And also C, you have different time investment horizons. Holding periods, Mm. right? And those three factors can make what would seem irrational from a institution perspective to be totally rational for the individual Mm -hmm. and i think that's what's very interesting about studying the markets that's that's something that requires more thought i guess i mean it's Mm. it's interesting what you said about the sort of virality factor or the public (laughs) consciousness bit right because people don't not necessarily think about that well me they do but then i think it really differs across i I, I hope there will be an etf in the future which is called the meme etf Mm-hmm. And then you just invest in meme stocks and like <laughs> try to capture meme value. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, if you talk to people who <laughs> put together those ETFs, it could be something. 
Yeah, I exactly. think I think you, I think you could be onto something on that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Okay, and and I guess um I appreciate the perspective on like twenty twenty three. I think like you know like being cautious and optimistic at the same mm. time. I think that's sort of the approach that people are taking. Maybe maybe erring on the side of caution now because it kind of like swings both ways, right? But I think it'll be very exciting to see what happens in twenty twenty three because it's just people are not even just contending with just a crypto market, but markets in general. I think in twenty twenty three they will be looking at a lot of other factors as well. But yeah. um, so for people who would like to find out more about you and the work that you do at RapidX, like where can they find you? Yes, yeah, so they can find me on Twitter. My handle is zero x underscore m i n g. You'll link it in the show notes. And uh, yeah, so our, our website's rabbitx.io. Mm, cool. And you guys put out actually very interesting articles. So I recommend that you guys go check it out. Yeah, our blog's pretty interesting. We cover some pretty esoteric topics sometimes mm-hmm. and philosophical and also markets. Um, so if you're interested in tech, philosophy and markets, definitely check out our blog. Yeah, I guess give more thought into what you mentioned on the ETF. <laughs> yeah, Being maybe worthy. we'll write a blog about that. Probably, I think you should. Yeah. Then we would, you know, if you if you do that, we'll probably link that as well. Perfect. Sounds cool. good. Thank you so much again for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation, and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcasts at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.